Welcome to the Impact Hour on Money 105.5 KSAC, where you live with passion, make a difference, and come alive. This show is about you, your life, your impact, and your legacy. Now, here's your host, Awesome John. Hey, welcome to the Impact Hour. I'm Awesome John, your host today, and you too are awesome. Today is the second time I'm doing this show remotely, so apologize in advance if there are any audio issues during the show. Hopefully things will work smooth, but this is a learning process for me and a bit for the station as well. So these days, I particularly see a lot of blaming going on. There's a lot of blaming. I see a lot of blaming all the time, but particularly now. And I wanted to talk about what I call the blame-shame game. This blaming is fueling anger and discontentment. And uh, of course, it's ongoing, but it seems to be particularly intense lately. Blaming happens not just in our social space as we watch news and all that, but it happens in our relationships, it happens in our families, in our workplaces, and in our communities, and in our country. Blaming seems to happen all over the place. And examples that I see lately is China lately, maybe not most recently, but not too long ago, we're blaming the U.S. for this virus. And the U.S. is blaming China for our economic crisis. And the media is blaming the president. There's all kinds of blaming going on. Now, I believe we blame because at some point in our lives, we came to believe that any mistakes, any misjudgments that we made, any judgments in error, any mess ups, did something for the wrong reason at the time, we've learned some point along the way that that is unacceptable. And that once the deed is done, that's it. That there's nothing we can do now that whatever's happened has happened and what will happen if we are deemed to be in error will be really bad for us. That if we make a mistake at work, we'll be fired. If we do something, not thinking it through, our family will disown us. If we messed up with our friend, our friend will cut us off. Things like that. Somehow we've come to believe that if we mess up, we can't go back and somehow clean up the mess and make it right, but that somehow there has to be some sort of final judgment on it, and that'll be the end, the end of whatever it is. And sometimes things actually have happened that way. And so that certainly reinforced that idea that if we mess up, well, that's it. There's no fixing it. There's no making it right. And now things will be really bad if somehow someone catches us to be at fault. So we did the wrong deed and the response maybe was exactly as we feared. And we believe there's no such thing in the world as grace and forgiveness. And in a part, we believe that if we won't be given grace, then it's not fair that someone else should get off lightly as well. And so we kind of like to blame other people that if they did something wrong, well, they should get what they deserve too for doing something wrong. And so to protect ourselves, we blame others to keep the attention off of us. And it's easy to do because if something does go wrong, usually more than one person involved had some at least small part in it. If something happens that kind of goes sideways the way we don't like, you probably could point to anybody and say, you did this or you did that. And we could focus on their part of what they did and blame them for the whole thing, even though maybe they're not 100% responsible for it. There's somehow this belief out there that if I'm to blame, then you're not. And if you're to blame, then I'm not. That if someone is to blame, if someone is responsible for it, then they're responsible 100% of it. But in reality, most of the times, there's more than one party culpable for what happened. And it's not that maybe people were nefarious or you know wanted to do something, do, do harm to people. It, sometimes we just respond because that's what makes sense at the time. We don't think it through and it just happens. So we blame the other person and go, shoo, we dodged that one. <laughs> but the truth is usually we had something to do with it. Even if we blamed somebody else for it 
and there is an, a negative impact for blaming. So when we blame, when we get into playing this blame shame game, we shame other people. And maybe if we do this in a relationship, it creates strain on the relationship. We blame them for what's happened. And it contributes to self-judgment as well. If we blame them for what they did, then what about us if we did something else or something similar even? If it's not okay for them for what they did, then I too must be not okay. And so it creates strain on the relationship and it creates a strain on our relationship with ourselves. We get into self-judgment in this culture, this relationship style of blaming and shaming. <clears throat> it creates a relationship and a cultural dynamic that is oppressive. And everyone feels like they need to walk on eggshells and be very careful of everything they do because maybe they'll be blamed for doing something wrong. Another effect of blaming is it has people take less risks in an organization, in your workplace, maybe in your nonprofit. A blaming culture doesn't allow for risk-taking. If you take a risk and it doesn't work out well, then people will pounce on you and blame you for it didn't going right. Tasks can take longer as everyone triple checks all of their work to make sure it's never wrong. And no new ideas are tried. Too risky. And if this is a business, the business starts to stagnate. Stagnate. Maybe the business started out being creative and innovative and tried new things and took risks. But if this is the culture of that company, they're not doing that anymore. And that company is staying put. Its growth starts to slow down. And there's a cycle of many, many companies, and I think it has to do a lot with the culture inside the company. A company will create something brand new, highly innovative, very risky, weren't sure it would work, but it does. And they have this huge growth, lots of new revenues come in. And then over time, they start to cling more tightly to this new innovative solution that they created, and they stop innovating so much. And I think maybe that might just be kind of natural anyways, but it's certainly worse if you have a culture of blaming and shaming people. So no new ideas are even presented. Why even bother? It's too risky to try that. If we try that and it doesn't work, watch out, what would happen? And so a company goes through a cycle where they have this huge growth at the beginning and then they stagnate and it tapers off. And then at some point, either the company ends or they have this new innovation that pops forward and they repeat the cycle all over again. And this has been something that has been studied and seen uh, in the business circles out there. Another problem of blaming is we won't change. We don't change. When we blame others, we hide from our own contribution to the problem. We focus only on their wrongdoing and our shortcomings get ignored and we don't grow and change. How can we if we're not even looking at and seeing how there's a place where we could grow and change? If we blame someone else, it's implied that somehow we were perfect, that we didn't do anything wrong, so why should we look at how we can grow and change? It's their fault. And your organization doesn't learn either if this is happening in an organization, in a company, in a nonprofit. Maybe you go through this negative experience and then you boot the person you think is the cause. And now your organization is vulnerable to that very thing happening again. You don't have a chance for your organization to learn. Your organization just got rid of the problem rather than learning and growing from it. You miss out on your cultural organizational learning. You certainly don't get to sit down and talk about the factors that contributed to this event that happened. You just put it all on one person and got rid of them and everything else gets ignored. And you miss out on your organization, your cultural as your organization learning itself and growing from the experience. And we will be right back in a bit here. Meaning, significance, Satisfaction, connection. 
You can have it all. Learn how on the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Move through your world, touching lives and experiencing a deep sense of connection and meaning. Listen to the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Your impact matters. You matter. Did you miss a show? Check out past shows at theimpacthour.com. Has your life been a repeat of months and years gone by, constantly the same it was last week, last month, last year? Are you ready to make a change? Simply Great Lives would like you to know that even the smallest steps can lead to great discoveries. Explore a new path for yourself. Life isn't something you do, it's something you get to embrace. Your gifts are special and only you can provide them. Simply Great Lives is here to help you find that path and guide you on your journey to self-discovery. Find Awesome John at TheImpactHour.com or call 916-783-2622. Live life with more intention. Now more of The Impact Hour on KSAC with Awesome John. Hey, welcome back to The Impact Hour. Today we're talking about the blame-shame game and why that does not work so well. Although we tend to fall into it so frequently, we jump into the blame-shame game, we blame others for things we see, but there's a whole lot of collateral damage that comes from a blaming attitude that we can have in our individual relationships, in our organizations, uh, in our companies, uh, even as a nation, we can start having kind of this blaming kind of culture and there's, there's damage that can happen to that. Just for the break, before the break, I was talking about what can happen, the, the negative side effects of blaming. And so the first one is it creates strain on relationships. It makes people walk on eggshells. It reduces the risk that people are willing to take. And we can't change because we're putting the problem on someone else and we're waiting for them to fix it rather than looking at ourselves to see what we can change and we, what we can fix ourselves. And so the other ones I didn't get to before the break is the problem actually doesn't get solved. We spent all this energy blaming and casting blame and shaming somebody else. And now we're all done with that, spending how much time and resources on it. And the problem is still sitting there and it hasn't been addressed and that doesn't fix the problem. So even after we're done blaming the person and doling out punishment, maybe, the problem is still there to be solved. It wastes time. We waste a whole lot of time blaming. And meanwhile, the problem is still there. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit here. And uh, it might seem a little odd, but I'm going to talk about how these two things tie in together in a bit. But uh, this new topic, this shifting gears here, I'm going to talk about how often we make up stories. We do it automatically. We get information with huge holes in the information. A lot is not said, and a little bit is said. There's a whole lot missing from the whole picture, the whole story that we don't get. And it's got these holes, and our minds can't stand the holes of missing information. And so we fill them, out, fill them in with made-up information. One way to think about it is kind of like with the way our eyes work. Your eyes have an optic nerve that connects to your retina. And where this optic nerve connects to your retina, we have a blind spot in our vision. And our brain fills in this missing hole, this blind spot, with made up fabricated visual information. I know it doesn't seem like it. You look around and you don't notice a blind spot and uh, it doesn't look like it. And if you don't believe me, you can put a couple of letters on a piece of paper, put an L and an R each about an inch or two apart. L from the left side, R on the right side. And then cover your right eye while looking at the L. And as you move the paper slowly closer and further away from your eye, there's a spot where the paper is where the R will completely disappear. It'll look like it's a blank piece of paper and you will not see the R. And you can do the same thing with your left eye looking at the letter R. You don't consciously think, oh, now I'm going to fill in this gap with reasonable fabricated visual information. It just happens automatically our brain fills it in because it doesn't like there being a hole there. And so our brain 
takes kind of its own best guess of what should be in that hole and fills it in with made up visual information. It's sort of in a way making up a visual story for those blind spots we have in our eyes. And of course, if we're looking with both of our eyes, the blind spot gets filled in by the other eye and the brain does okay. But even if we're looking out of only one eye, it will fill in that information with made up visual information. It's just natural. And so we make up stories to explain our world. And just like with our eyes, it fills in the gaps in the information and it happens automatically. The stories we make up often include other people's motivations. We think, oh, they're doing that because, you know, they're, they want to just do what's best for themselves or they're, they're padding their income or they're, you know, whatever. We make up all kinds of motivations. Why are they doing that? And I don't know why, but when we see somebody do something not great, I think it's weird, but we will attribute their behavior to their character. And we will say, oh, they're a flawed person. Their character is flawed. They're uh, inconsiderate or they're impatient or they would just attribute this whole thing that they just did to a character flaw. But if we do that same thing, we, we want others people to give us grace. Oh, give me a break. I made a mistake. And so somehow we treat others different than we would for ourselves. Not super important, but that seems to be what we do, but we do make up stories to explain what we see in the world so that our world can make sense. And it happens automatically without us even thinking about it. It can happen so quick that we think that the story we made up is actually true that came in with the information that we perceived. But oftentimes there's one story we made up to explain the facts that we saw, but there's other maybe five, 10, 20 other stories that could equally fit the facts. We just picked one of them automatically. And part of the problem is that any one of those 20 different stories could be true. It's all made up anyways, we don't really know. And maybe we filled in the missing holes, the missing information with something and what maybe what's actually true there is something we actually can't even think of. Just the reason for why they did it is some reason we can't even fathom, but we just went with what we, you know, with the easiest story and just went with it. An example for, for example here, I can talk weirdly, <laughs> is that let's suppose a doctor says, hey, I recommend you go running for your health, but be reasonable with it. And the patient might respond, do you think I'm dumb? And the doctor's going, what the heck? What's going on? I just recommended he's running and now he's thinking I'm saying he's dumb. Uh, you can have all kinds of weird interactions that way where we filled in the gaps. And so I don't know what the patient's thinking. Maybe the doctor says, be reasonable with it. And the patient's thinking, well, of course I should be reasonable with it. Why should he even mention it? He must think I'm dumb. And that's all made up story. The doctor probably didn't think any of that stuff. He just wanted to be really clear. Please go running for your health, but don't overdo your running because that might do the opposite. So be reasonable with it. And so this is maybe a kind of example of an interaction maybe you've had with somebody where it's just going weird. They're responding not just to what you said, but all kinds of things that you didn't say and you don't even mean. And this happens all the time. So your original thought of what's going on and why, it could be true. The story you made up might be true, but you don't really know for sure it's true. You just assumed it is. It was the fastest story you could come up with that your brain came up with when you perceived the information. And that story usually is colored by your filters, by what you believe about the world, about how the world works, about motivations of people and what drives them. And it matches with all of those beliefs so that you still have one consistent worldview. But we don't really know it's true. The truth is that much of our life is running on assumptions and we do it out of necessity. It's how we make sense of our world. So maybe you've heard we shouldn't make assumptions and maybe you've tried to not assume, but the problem is, is we can't help ourselves. 
And the trick is to not avoid assuming in the first place. We really can't do that. But to notice when you have made assumptions after and then test your assumptions and then maybe change your assumptions if you're not sure they're true. And maybe you could make a conscious choice now about what you assume rather than just picking the original one, which maybe isn't a great assumption. Maybe the assumptions you've been automatically making are rather cynical and they assume all kinds of negative things about people that perhaps you don't really know for sure. And maybe now you can go in afterwards and change your assumptions and change your story, change it to another one that you also believe matches the facts, one that you think is plausible. And you can go, well, I don't know if that's really true. I've been assuming this one thing is true, but I'm going to change what I really think about it. I'm going to reframe my experience of this past event. And this is a lifelong process, at least it has been for me. I'm still working on this. And there are times when I look and go back and go, oh, I assumed that, didn't I? And maybe I have to go back and clean up my mess. And it's an ongoing process. Now, this making up stories and assuming ties in with the blaming when those two things are combined. It's a really bad combination to make up stories and then blame others based on it. It can also be equally bad if we make up stories and feel hurt about, about it based on the story when the story we don't know for sure is true. And the true, both of those can be bad. So if we make up a story to explain what's happened and then run with it, run with our assumptions and either blame others, feel angry, feel hurt, it's not great. If we are feeling hurt, it would behoove us to check the facts because maybe what we assumed is true is not. And we're just feeling hurt over something we imagined in essence. I'm not saying all hurts are that way. We can be hurt by what other people have done and it doesn't have to be that we made up a story. But when we do feel hurt because we have made up a story that can be particularly tough. And one of the things we can do in that case perhaps is to reframe the story and the hurt then can be relieved. But when you combine it with blaming, then it's projected outward and it's, in my opinion, particularly bad. That's where we can get crazy accusations. Sometimes it can even look like a witch hunt. We just know they did it, now we need to prove it. We assume guilt without concrete evidence or proof. It's based on the story that our mind fabricated. Kind of like the statement that I heard, which is, I don't know how, but somehow, some way, I know it's your fault, which is crazy. <laughs> this type of thinking often comes from group, in-group, out-group type of uh, things, type of scenarios where we have an in-group and then other people are in an out-group and we assume certain things about those other people because they're in an out-group, they're not in our in-group, they're not us. And we can make assumptions about individuals because they appear to belong to this group or that group. And so maybe we are assume a person is a certain way and, and maybe we blame them for certain things, but we're really blaming not the individual, blaming the idea of the individual. And there's no actual facts. It makes it hard to argue against because the accusations are coming from this fabricated ideas, these stories that we've made up about what has happened when they haven't actually happened. So maybe we assume those folks in the out group are no good liars or they're cheats or they're criminals, or we assume, I don't know, they, they have ill intentions or they're just druggies just because they appear a certain way. And of course we call this prejudice. And sometimes we have a hard time with it because we have this worldview. We have this worldview that you know, certain people in a certain group are just this certain way. And we start resisting and railing against people. But as I said before, we're not railing against the individuals. We're not railing against who they really are, but the idea of who we think they are. Because our blame is not based in reality, accusations can be particularly insidious. The person doesn't have to actually do anything to be blamed. And the blame can come with undue punishment as well, 
all from just assumptions. This is the opposite of our justice system, the way it's supposed to be like. Our justice system is supposed to be based on facts and truth so that if somebody actually did sue something, they'll, well, then we can deal with that. But if they didn't actually do it, then for justice, they shouldn't be punished and they shouldn't have any sort of ill effects from something they didn't actually do. So our justice system tries to be based on truth. But a lot of times lately in our social space, in the media and online, we often accuse people or assassinate their character without actually having facts. We hear bits of facts, we hear snippets, and we think we know what's going on, but we don't really have the facts, and the rest of it is all story. We only have supposition and assumption. And that can happen not just in our social spaces, but in our workplaces and in our families too. So it's particularly important, I believe, to check our assumptions, to check our stories. Is what we think is true really true? Or is it something else? I think it's worth looking into. And if we don't really know for sure, I think it's helpful to go ahead and withhold judgment. And we'll talk more about this right after this break. Sacramento's Money 105.5 and the Money 105.5 app for your smartphone. And at iHeart, tune in and radio.com. We're proud to partner with our friends at Comstocks Magazine. For nearly three decades, Comstocks has served as the region's premier publication for business insight. Comstocks serves the Sacramento area and nine surrounding counties throughout the region. They produce a top quality print publication with a special focus each month. And you can follow Comstocks today on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle Comstocks Mag for the resources and info you need to succeed. G'day, I'm Scott from Plug In Pest Free. If you have a rodent or pest problem at your home or business, don't spray harmful toxic chemicals. Use Plug In Pest Free, the electromagnetic pest control device that uses your wiring to get rid of pests fast. Just plug it in. I know a pest controller who was contracted to get rid of a cockroach infestation in a restaurant. He tried everything, even chemicals. Nothing worked. So he bought my Plug-In Pest Free Pro and a few weeks later the cockroach problem was well under control and he was able to keep his contract. Plug-In Pest Free is not a sonic device. It's chemical free and gets rid of pests safely and effectively for years. It comes with a 60 day money back guarantee and a 2 year warranty. Now that's fair income. Order today and get 20% off at gopestfree.com promo code PEST20. That's gopestfree.com Promo code PEST20. Don't spray and regret. Plug in and forget with Plug In Pest Free. Hi, this is Matt. I co-host the morning show on our sister station, and I'm just like you. I'm really concerned with where our state is going, especially in the public schools where teachers have the freedom to promote socialism and secularism and where morality and conservative values have no place. So when it came to enroll our five-year-old in kindergarten, there was no question that we were going to send him to a private Christian school. But how would we afford it? Well, thanks to this program called SackTuitions.com. We got the entire year for half price. There was no catch. You just go to the website SackTuitions.com. Some of the best private Christian schools in our area right there offering half price tuitions for the upcoming school year. And maybe you don't have kids. Maybe they're all grown up, but you can still leave a legacy for the next generation. Give a child you know the gift of a great education at SackTuitions.com. We're talking about our future here, folks. SACTuitions.com, S-A-C-Tuitions.com. Employee retention is one of the biggest problems organizations face. Failure to retain employees is disruptive and costing employers billions per year. To decrease turnover costs and increase return on investments, organizations need a strategy for providing learning and growth opportunities. Join the Better Business Bureau and Whitney Wiley Wednesday, April 15th at 10 a.m. for a live webinar about the importance of employee retention. Register at bbb.org sacramento. Has your life been a repeat of months and years gone by, constantly the same it was last week, last month, last year? Are you ready to make a change? Simply Great Lives would like you to know that even the smallest steps can lead to great discoveries. Explore a new path for yourself. Life isn't something you do, it's something you get to embrace. 
Your gifts are special and only you can provide them. Simply Great Lives is here to help you find that path and guide you on your journey to self-discovery. Find Awesome John at TheImpactHour.com or call 916-783-2622. Meaning, significance, satisfaction, connection. You can have it all. Learn how on The Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Move through your world, touching lives, and experiencing a deep sense of connection and meaning. Listen to The Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Your impact matters. You matter. Did you miss a show? Check out past shows at theimpacthour.com. Money 105.5 KSAC. Now let's dig under the surface and get to how life really works. Hey, welcome back to the Impact Hour. I'm Awesome John, your host, and you too are awesome. Today's show, we're talking about the blame-shame game. And I'm seeing lately a lot of tensions. Tensions are high, and there seems to be an increase in blaming and shaming people. And I want to just talk about that as kind of a phenomenon that we engage in, this blaming and shaming. And earlier in the show, I was talking about why we blame. We blame usually to deflect so that attention falls on other people. And if we've fallen short, well, we don't have to have the spotlight on us for that. We get to dodge that bullet. Oftentimes, it's usually rooted in a fear that we'll be cast out, we'll be cut off from relationships, we'll lose our job. And as a result, we'll be in a very bad place. I think ultimately our subconscious thinks maybe we'll even die. Although that's not certainly not a conscious thought that we would have. And so we like to blame others so that we will not get blamed. And blaming is not very productive. So we blame others, but it doesn't really help. It actually doesn't fix the problem We get done blaming somebody else, and the problem is still sitting there, not solved. In particular, it's bad when we will make up stories about what has gone on. We'll fill in the blanks, the gaps in the information we don't have, make assumptions about why somebody is doing something, and then assume that that is true and run with that, and we'll blame people based on our assumptions of what's happening when they're not actually based on facts and not based on truth. And I see this often, especially in our political arena. We assume because they're in the other camp, the other side, that they have these ill motivations and we assume guilt before we even really take in what's gone on. It's just a starting place. They're already starting from a place of assumed guilt. And we use that then to interpret everything they do and say, And of course, that colors how we perceive what they do and say, and lo and behold, we get to match our prior assumptions. Oh, look, see, that's evidence. They're this evil person. And I think a lot of that is just based on fabricated story that we've made up. We've made up just to explain the missing facts, and we do it naturally, but it's not necessarily true. And we combine our blaming with that, it can be particularly insidious. But like I said before, blaming doesn't help. It doesn't fix the problem. It blames other people. It brings shame and judgment. It avoids responsibility. And when more often when one party is blamed, that party in return blames the other. So both sides are blaming each other. And if we actually want the other party, the other person to change, blaming does the opposite. It does not help them to change. When we blame someone else, the other person, the other party goes into resistance. That's just the way it happens. Judgment produces resistance. They dig in their heels and they resist the change and they resist you and anything you say. A lot of times when you get this kind of dynamic, the other person can say anything And suddenly we believe the opposite just because they said it, not because we actually took in and actually evaluated whether what they said was true or good or not. If we want the person to change, we want the other party to change, blaming them will have the opposite effect. Judgment and blame holds people in place and makes them less likely to change, not more likely to change. 
And parents, pay attention. This is true with your kids. If you blame your kids, they're less likely to grow and change and do the things that you want. Now, I'm not saying you can never punish kids. Sometimes that's necessary. But if that's your culture, your kid probably will not grow and change. They'll get stuck. They'll, they'll dig in their heels and they'll justify their actions and stay the same. Probably not what you want for your kids. So the truth is we don't have to go into blaming. There are alternatives. We don't have to cast blame before we can fix the problem. And we can create a culture of grace and acceptance, then we can create and maintain an environment of continual improvement. If it's a place of grace and acceptance, then the person can admit their fault and we can go, yep, yep, I see that and I'm on your side. And what do you think? What do you wanna do? And it leaves it open for the person to go, I think I'd like to do better next time or whatever the response is. We can create a culture where it's not blaming and it's not shaming. And I think there are ways back to the parent thing to discipline kids without actually shaming them for it. We can say, hey, this is not good. You know, I want you to learn this. I'm going to do this in response. Maybe it's not pleasant, but I love you and I want you to learn from this experience. And here's why I'm doing this. And it's a form of discipline, not out of anger and blame and shame, but a discipline out of love and concern for the kid. And it'll look very different to the kid. An alternative to blaming is to just say, it's my fault. It's all my fault. I know a lot of us would have a hard time saying that and accepting that. And maybe it's not exactly true, but we can go into the attitude that if something went wrong, it's my fault. I actually ran into a guy who was saying it's my fault. He'd become a boss. I don't know if it's the first time he was ever a boss, but I think it was kind of a new position for him. And people come in and complain. Oh, this is happening this way and blah, blah, and this is no good. And he said, okay, I guess that's my fault. That's why they're complaining to me. It's my fault, so I'm going to fix it. You're complaining to me, so you're giving me the problem. You're giving me the monkey on your back, so I'm going to fix it. Now, his attitude was, you might not like my fix, but I'm going to assume it's my fault and I'm going to fix it. Now, if you want to go ahead and take responsibility for it and fix it yourself, then great. But if you're going to blame me and complain to me, then I'm going to fix it. Maybe not the best approach completely, but it does have some merits to it. It lets us examine ourselves and take responsibility in our part for what has happened, which is probably true. Most likely, we've made choices, and those choices may have contributed to what just happened. And it doesn't mean that those choices are necessarily wrong. We don't have to blame ourselves and say we were wrong because we chose this route to go to work, but that was our part in it. We chose to take that route to work, which may not be wrong, and now we've learned that maybe that's not a great route. And we can change the way we we go to work and change the way we respond, but that at least takes responsibility for it rather than blaming the traffic or blaming something else and saying it wasn't me at all. We can take responsibility for our part in it and take care of our part of it. So in this idea of justice in the world, in this way of when things go wrong, here's how it's supposed to work. We have court systems and our court systems are there because and a handle when it doesn't go the way it's supposed to work. The way it's supposed to work is perhaps something undesired happens. Everyone involved examines and shares how they contributed to the problem. Everyone shares what they've learned and everyone agrees that next time they'll attempt to do things different. Maybe a few folks apologize for what they did. No one is blamed, no one is accused, all take personal responsibility, and when possible, those who have part responsibility to it do what they can to make it right. And it's all taken care of. And there was no judgment, there was no blame, it was like, ooh, that wasn't great, I'm sorry about that, here, let me see if I can fix that for you, and it's taken care of. 
And so our court system is there to handle it when it didn't go the way it was supposed to work. But that's the way our relationships and our workplaces and all of that are supposed to work when things are working well. Note that when we take responsibility, it is not the same thing as blaming. Maybe we made choices that contributed to the problem. And like I said before, those choices may not be bad or wrong choices. They just were choices. And as a consequence to those choices, things happened. So you can still take responsibility for those choices. And you don't have to take responsibility. And it doesn't have to mean that it's your fault that you're in judgment that you are bad or you did it wrong, you can just take responsibility. And we'll talk more about this right after the break. Meaning, significance, satisfaction, connection. You can have it all. Learn how on the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Move through your world, touching lives and experiencing a deep sense of connection and meaning. Listen to the Impact Hour, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. on Money 105.5. Your impact matters. You matter. Did you miss a show? Check out past shows at theimpacthour.com. Has your life been a repeat of months and years gone by, constantly the same it was last week, last month, last year? Are you ready to make a change? Simply Great Lives would like you to know that even the smallest steps can lead to great discoveries. Explore a new path for yourself. Life isn't something you do, it's something you get to embrace. Your gifts are special and only you can provide them. Simply Great Lives is here to help you find that path and guide you on your journey to self-discovery. Find Awesome John at TheImpactHour.com or call 916-783-2622. So much more interesting than other shows. Back to the Impact Hour on Money 105.5 KSAC with your host, Awesome John. Hey, welcome back to the Impact Hour. Today's show is on the blame-shame game. So we're talking about, before the break, about taking personal responsibility for our part in what has happened. When each can take responsibility for our part, uh, then we can own our stuff and we don't have to own their stuff. And for them too, they don't have to own our stuff and just take responsibility for their stuff. And we can make it right for our stuff. Now, I just wanted to look briefly at this current political arena. This might be highly controversial, so I understand you may not agree. But right now there's this movement to make China responsible for our economic crisis because they didn't do some of the right things when the virus came out. They tried to cover things up and so forth. The US is blaming China for our economic crisis. So if we're talking about taking personal responsibility, responsibility for our part in things, my view is that China is to blame for covering up the virus and not letting people know when they found out early enough. At least that's my perception that they covered things up and they didn't release information when they already knew, which would have helped a lot. On the other side, in the US, we have made the choice to shelter in place which will hurt the economy and is hurting the economy. That is our choice. China didn't make us do that. That was just our response to it. And sheltering in place is not the only choice we could have made. Maybe it's the best choice, I don't know. But there are probably 20 other choices that they could have considered and selected from. I don't know if folks actually spent the time to come up with 20 options or not. Maybe they did. But I suspect there are some options out there that could have worked equally well or nearly so, which wouldn't have hurt the economy. And so I don't think it's right for the U.S. to blame China for our economic crisis, although we could probably reasonably say, hey, you, you, know, you hurt us by letting this virus get out without telling us, we'd like you to do what you can to make it right and then pick what makes sense there. And we should take ownership for our own choices, for the shelter in place, for quarantining everybody effectively. That's something we chose. And that's being responsible for our choices and holding China accountable for their choices. 
Now I know that might be controversial. <laughs> so that's my view. And uh, if you have some other ideas, uh, I'd love to hear your comments. You can go to the impacthour.com and share comments uh, there. You can pick this uh, radio show and then you know, comment on it uh, when the show gets put up. So a big part of trying to create an environment that doesn't involve blaming and shaming wouldn't need to involve a fair amount of grace and forgiveness. So if we all just agree and admit that we're going to mess up, we're going to make choices, we're going to do things for the wrong reasons, so not just make a mistake, but we might actually make some really bad choices, and it's all part of our growing experience, and we all love and accept each other, even in the middle of that, and be responsible for our own part in it, and hold people accountable for their part in it, but have grace and forgiveness in the process and let the person learn and grow from the experience, that's where we can create an environment that doesn't involve a lot of blaming and shaming. When you create an environment where it's not blame and shame, people are freer. They're freer to share with what's actually going on with them and they can get help with it. They can go back and say, I really messed up back there and I wanna know what I can do to fix it and to make it right. If there's a culture of blaming and shaming, people are not free to do that. And if you wanna have an organization, a family, a relationship where it allows for that freedom for people can learn and grow together, it needs a fair amount of forgiveness and grace to be involved. Note that if somebody makes a mistake, but they're already working on three things, maybe they're working on three character flaws already, loading them up with the fourth may not be so helpful for them right then. And maybe in that case, just forgiveness and grace is all that's needed and anything else would be counterproductive. But when there's an environment of forgiveness and grace and acceptance, it creates a culture or relationship that is that is filled with grace and forgiveness and opens up the possibility of being vulnerable. It allows people to be vulnerable and to share with each other and they'll know they'll be accepted and valued no matter how much they've messed up and they can open up and share the vulnerabilities and they can get help from the other party to say, hey, I messed up and I think this is going on and I'd like some help with it, I'd like space with it or whatever, and they can work together on it and they can be co-collaborators in the process of learning and growing. We can create an environment that is much more like this if we go ahead and create a, a culture that way. And if you are the boss, you can certainly do that uh, with your workers. So you can treat your workers with grace and acceptance rather than blame and shame. That certainly would go a long ways. And if you're not the boss, you can take initiative to create that kind of culture, maybe by being vulnerable automatically and then initiating the vulnerability. Now you might wanna test it first and say be vulnerable a little bit here, a little bit there, maybe a little bit more as you go along and see how people respond. And if people are responding more to it, uh, it'll end up inviting others to be more vulnerable too. But if you're the boss, you have a huge influence over your culture in your team, in your group. And so if there's a problem and your first approach is to find out who did it and to blame them, well, people are gonna be pretty scared to be open and vulnerable. But instead, if there's a problem and maybe you share with the person that you're on their side and you wanna help them do their best work, you see that as your job, and ask them maybe if something is going on and you'd like to support them through whatever is going on to help them so they can do their best work, then they would perhaps, maybe not always, but perhaps see that you're on their side and then maybe be able to be open and vulnerable and so they can come to you and say, ah, today it didn't go well and I'm struggling concentrating or I'm struggling with this and get help with it and have your employees do their best work in a culture of shame and blame, people rarely do their best work. And of course you can be vulnerable in your relationships as well. So I wanted to end the show by talking a little bit about a communication pattern that you can use to help. 
So if you are tempted to blame somebody in a relationship, one of the patterns that I've learned kind of recently that's helped is first to affirm the person's intentions. And so you want to start by affirming them as a person and their intentions, and you know that they're a good person. And so then you can follow that up with just when you do and then list the behaviors and say, I feel and list your emotional response. And then after that, you follow that up, maybe give them time to reflect on that. Maybe they would apologize or say they're sorry they didn't know and give them space for that if they want to share that. And then say, what would really help me is, and fill in that, fill in that blank. When you do this, uh, you can even put multiple things in the blank. It doesn't have to be just one word each time. Uh, keep it simple. But the idea is it's responsible communication. It doesn't blame them. You're not saying you make me feel, although the person may hear that at first. You might need to be extra careful. But you're telling them uh, how you're feeling when things happen. You're letting them know what's going on. And you're taking a stand for you. And then you're ending it with what would help you out. And it's inviting them to be a part of the solution. And you're giving them a place to go, a thing to do to make it right. And so that's responsible communication if you're feeling like blaming somebody. On the other side, if you're being blamed, you probably want to start with, I probably did do that. And then tell me how you've been affected. And then listen to them and find out let them share how they've been affected. And then they get to share all the things that have been, they've been affected by it. And then you can say, I'm sorry, I've affected you that way. I'm so sorry this happened. And you know, you can ask for forgiveness, but that gives them room to share what's really going on. And now, now you can get to specifics uh, and it's easier to actually open up to empathy if they start sharing about how they're affected, how they felt when you did such and such. And this allows them to kind of do the first pattern, but you're initiating it from your side, from the side where you're being blamed. And so maybe you don't feel like it's all your fault, but if you go through this pattern first and allow them to share, uh, then it might open it up for you to go to the first pattern and share how you've been feeling too. And so this is a way of sharing responsibly with each other so that it doesn't get into a blaming, shaming pattern uh, where you can help and support each other and do in the relationship what helps in the relationship and, and you get to share.